Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, we thank you, God, that you knew every person that would be here. You knew those that would be joining and listening online. And Father, you even know those, knew those, God, that would watch this maybe weeks down the, the road. But Father, I pray, God, that you'd give us eyes and ears and hearts to receive the things that you have for us this Sunday, this particular Sunday. God, you knew this word would be shared. God, you put this word on my heart. So, Father, I thank you today. Thank you, Father, that every bondage, every addiction, every stronghold is broken off of our lives because we're sitting under the anointing of your word, not because of rich finale, but because of you and your word. It destroys the yoke of bondage off of our life, and we choose as an act of our will to walk in that freedom that Jesus Christ provided for us on the cross. He said, it is finished. His work was accomplished. We've been set free. So, Father, we choose to walk in it. In Jesus' name, if you agreed with that, say amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to uh, share a, a, start a new series today, and um, it'll go for a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks, maybe six weeks, maybe eight. I'll just go to the, to, the, to the burden leaves my heart. I'm a burden preacher. I've got a burden to speak on this today. And I'm going to call this Don't Shoot the Whale. Don't Shoot the Whale. This is an allegory of adversity, an allegory of adversity. And I want us to look at a little book in the Old Testament it's a little four-chapter book. You've probably heard the story uh, if you were raised in church and uh, especially in Sunday school. You know, I was raised in a Baptist church, and Baptist church has got good Sunday schools. And uh, so I remember learning all these little stories in the, in the, in, in the Baptist church, but this is uh, the story about Jonah. And uh, how many of you figured out when I said, don't shoot the whale, you had kind of an idea. I bet he's going to talk something about Jonah. How many of you figured that out? You guys, see, that's why I love to teach theologians. You guys are so good. So what I want to do today, though, really, my, my, my goal and my purpose today is I want to challenge your thinking. I'm going to challenge your thinking. Don't get mad at me. Don't, if you disagree with me, that's okay. We can disagree. You, you, you have the freedom to be wrong. I just want you to know that. I'm, I won't be mad at you. No, you don't have the freedom to be wrong. We do. I have the freedom to be wrong, too. But uh, I want to challenge your thinking in some things. So I'm going to do a little bit of reading here on, uh, in, in Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 17 verses. This will be the longest passage that I'll read today. Just listen to this. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went in the opposite. That's pretty bold for a prophet of the Lord to walk away. He didn't just go to the next. He went, he was heading 2,500 miles away. Tarshish is where he was going. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went aboard, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, if he was any kind of a prophet, which I believe that he was, he knew he can't run from God. Hello, he can't run. He can't get away from God because guess what? God's in Tarshish. God's in Joppa. God's in Nineveh. God's everywhere. So again, and I think he knew that. So really what he was running from 2,500 miles away was from what God told him to do. He was running away from the call of God there on his life. He went down to the city. um, Where did I go? He went down to the Joppa. He found a ship that was going to Tarshish. Okay, he bought a ticket, got on board. He escaped. He escaped from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Verse 14, or verse 4. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw cargo overboard to lighten the ship. 
But all the time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hole. Hmm. Typical man of God. No. (laughs) So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Interesting. Why was this awful storm? Why is this awful storm come on us? They demanded. Uh, Who are you? And uh, what line of work are you in? What country are you from? They asked him all these questions. And what's your nationality? And Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this for they had already, he'd already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do this? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop the storm? Throw me. Here's what Jonah said. Throw me into the sea and it'll become calm again. I know that this, storm, this terrible storm is my fault. So instead, the sailors rode even harder to get the ship to, uh, to the land. That's pretty, that's pretty nice of those guys. You know, they could have said, yeah, but, that, but the, no, no, you're a good guy. We're just, we'll just row harder. We'll try to get there. But, but they couldn't get there. But the storm of the sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. And then they cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord, uh, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sins and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. I like that. That's just plain talk. Then the sailors picked up Jonah, threw him into this roaring sea, and the storm stopped immediately. Now, watch this. I love this. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. That's awesome, isn't it? Now, verse 17 says, now the Lord had arranged a great fish or a whale, a great fish and swallowed Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, what I want us to do, I want us to look at this this great fish that's mentioned here in verse 17, and I want us to see it as an allegory of adversity, an allegory of adversity. An allegory is simply a, a metaphor uh, a metaphor, uh, an uh, illustration, a symbol. An adversity is a hardship, a difficulty, a danger, a misfortune. How many of you have ever experienced a difficulty in your life? Those of you that don't have your hand raised, you are lying right now. <laughs> you have an adversity of telling the truth. I don't care who you are, every one of us, we have difficulties in our life. There's some of our difficulties, and the reason sometimes we don't raise our hands on something like that, because we always know there's probably somebody that has it worse than we do. So we say, I'm not, my little, my little difficulty ain't worth raising my hand over, but we've had difficulties, and you will have difficulties going forward. There's little doubt that this, that this whale in Jonah's life was an ad, advers, uh, uh, adversity, wasn't it? It's easy for you to say. It's an adversity. It was an adversity. It was an adversity in his life. It was a trouble in his life. It was a difficulty. It was a misfortune. So, uh, so he's in there for three days and three nights. And chapter 2 opens up with Jonah praying to, to the Lord inside. We're going to go, go through this whole book really quick, but I'm going to do it quick. So chapter 2 through verse, uh, first verses, first uh, 1 through 9 Jonah's offering up a prayer to the Lord. And in verse 10, it says, Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out on the beach. He got a free ride to where he was supposed to be going. And by the way, why, would, why did Jonah, why did, he, um, why did he 
run from the Lord? Why did he not want to do this? Because of the Ninevites. The Jews hated the Ninevites. The Ninevites hated the Jews. And the Ninevites, as it already said, they were evil. They were evil people. And I don't know if you know what they did, but what they did, they went around with fish and slapping each other with fish in the face. That's what I learned from Veggie Tales. <laughs> if you've ever seen the story of Jonah and the whale, Veggie Tales, these Ninevites were slapping each other. The Lord told them to stop that. So. <laughs> so again, that's the reason that, that he was running from them. So he tells them, he goes and he tells them, you know, what's going to happen? You're going to be destroyed in 40 days, and God's going to, going to wipe this place out because you're so evil. You're hitting everybody with fish, and you won't stop, yada, yada, yada. And then chapter 3, the king of Nineveh calls for a fast of repentance. And nobody's eating, nobody's drinking for three days, and don't even feed your animals. I mean, this is a serious, serious fast here. In verse 3, in, I mean, in chapter 3, verse 10, Chapter 3, verse 10, it says, When God saw that they saw what they had done and how they had stopped their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction uh, that he had threatened. And that's exactly, exactly what Jonah was afraid of. Look what verse uh, chapter 4, verse 1 says this, This changed the plans greatly. This change of plans upset Jonah greatly, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say that before I left home that you would do this? That that's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn, uh, you're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now. I love that. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted or what I prophesied that you were going to destroy them. If that doesn't happen, I'd rather just die. Just kill me now. How many of you, if you've ever read this story, if you've never read this story, I, I encourage you, again, it's just four chapters, and we kind of brush through it kind of quick. Go through it and, 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 and listen again and read this, read this story uh, there's only eight verses left, and I'm not going to take time to read the last eight verses, but it's interesting, and it's interesting how the, the, the book really just ends abruptly. It just, it's quick, and it's, it's done, and it's over, and it kind of leaves you hanging a little bit, and then the next book is you go into Micah. But again, I encourage you sometime this week, read, the, read this whole book of, of, uh, of Jonah, four chapters. You'll, you'll be glad that you did. But again, here's what I want you to see, and what I want you to consider in this story is the source of adversity, the source of hardship, the source of difficulty, the source in this story of misfortune. And I believe that, that you would agree with me on this. You'll agree with me on this, that had Jonah obeyed God and did what he should have done and just left, said the word and then said his part and then left, he wouldn't have gone through this adversity. Would you agree with that? So many times, so many times we bring adversity, we bring adversity on ourselves Mm. You know this, right? That, that most of the time, a lot of, well, not most of the time, many, many, many times, the adversity that we go through is something that we've been doing, something that we should have been doing, we knew we should have been doing it, we didn't do it, or something that we did, and we just did it out of ignorance, and we bring adversity again. We bring that on ourselves. But here's the thing, here's the question. But where did the adversity that Jonah faced come from? We know why he faced it. He ran from God. Where did the adversity come from? Let me ask you this question. Did the storm just come up by chance? 
Listen, remember what verse 4 says. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. All right, did the great fish just happen to be there waiting for them to throw somebody overboard? Again, let's be reminded that this verse, verse 15, we just read this. It says, then the sailors picked Jonah up, threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. And verse 17 says, now the Lord had arranged a great fish to swallow Jonah. The Lord had arranged a great fish to swallow Jonah. Is there any question where the storm came from? No. Verse 4 again, the Lord hurled a powerful wind. Is there any question if the fish just showed up? No, again, verse 17, the Lord arranged a great fish to swallow Jonah. So let me ask you this. Can we agree today that adversity comes from God sometimes? Not all the time, but it does come from God. Do you believe that? Well, good. Let's go. I, I, I didn't know it would be that easy to convince you. We can go home now. Listen, but, but can adversity, can trouble, can difficulty, can that come from the devil? Sure, absolutely. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. It does. But again, again, Jonah, had he obeyed God, he would not have faced these things in adversity. And somebody says, well, Pastor, you know, that's Old Testament. And, and also, you know, it's probably, it's probably uh, translated in the causative sense when in actuality it was in the permissive sense. And some things are like that, but we take that with, with everything. Let's read a story real quick. Let's read a story over in John's gospel. That's in the New Testament, by the way, John's gospel. There was a man in this, in this story in John, John chapter 9. There was a man that was born blind. He was born blind. And I kind of, in my thinking, I, I, I think the disciples probably, many of the disciples probably knew him. He was probably their age. Uh, and they probably went to synagogue with him, went to school with him, and they knew his situation. They knew that he was born blind. They knew it wasn't some accident that happened to him. They knew this, and I think it's something that probably um, a question that they wanted to ask Jesus for a while. They finally got up the courage to ask him, and they asked him. Here it is in chapter nine, chapter nine, John nine, verse two. It says, "Rabbi, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sins?" or because of his parents' sins. See, there was, their assumption was something probably the way that they would raise. They were taught all their life when bad things happen to good people, it's always because there's sin in their life. It's always because they've done something wrong. How many of you believe that? You know, you see that. You put that curse on some people that, you know, ah, they must have done something wrong. You just assume. We do that still today. And when something happens sometimes in our life, we always come up with that why question. You know, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen? Why did this happen to my child? Why did my dad, my mom, my grandma, my grandpa, somebody that I love, my friend, why did they get cancer? Why did they, why did they die? Why did my house catch on fire? Why, why, why? And Jesus offers us a, a broader perspective on suffering and adversity uh, more than just who, had, who sinned or what did I do? Verse 3 says this. It was not because of his sin. This is what Jesus says. It was not because of his sin or his parents' sin. This happened so or, or in order that the power of God could be seen. And that in order that, in order that, it implies that there was a purpose for this man's blindness. In order that, this man was born blind. In order that, it had a purpose that the power of God could be seen. You know, I would really like to be able to tell you that 
If you read that in the original Greek, what it actually says is this man, and you've got to do it kind of a religious voice, you know, this man was born uh, and his parents had a, were, had a terrible profession, and they, because of that, their child was born blind. It would be easier, oh, okay, I understand. But to understand that this happened in order that the power of God might be seen in him. Is it possible, is it possible that adversity can originate with God? I think, we're, I think we're, we're in agreement that it can. Isn't that right? So we, go, we could go over in, in uh, second, uh, second Corinthians chapter 12 and talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Here's what it says in Paul's thorn in the flesh, uh, verse, uh, verse 7 out of chapter 12. Even though, this is Paul writing, he says, Even though I received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from be, being proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, a messenger from Satan to torment me, to keep me from becoming proud and getting into pride. And somebody says, well, that's, that was from the devil. No, the, the adversity, the adversity, uh, the, the whale, we could say, was there and it says that it, a messenger of Satan, that is the adversity, but who sent, where did the adversity come from? Uh, Proverbs 6, you know, six things. Remember what, what Paul said. Do you th- let me ask you this. Do you think that the devil would, would give Paul something to keep him from getting into pride? Or do you think that he would give him something to get him into pride? And this is what it said. This messenger of Satan was given to keep me from getting into pride. And pride is something that we know the Bible says that God hates. Proverbs 6, 16, yea, six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination. And the very first one it mentions is a proud look, haughty eyes. God hates pride. That was the fall of Lucifer. I will rise my throne above the stars of God. I will become like the most high. There was five I, 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 I that Satan said in his P-R-I-D-E, pride. God hates pride. So again, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I believe that, that, that there's a lot of adversities, a lot of difficulties and things like this that we open the door for. Our adversity sometimes can be, of, can be of our own making. But sometimes it comes from God, and its purpose is always for our betterment. It's always for our betterment, and it's always to bring glory to God. Always. Let's look at one other. Let's look at one other story of adversity. And, uh, and again, I, I encourage you as we read this, this story to, to and I, I do this a lot, try to get into the story a little bit and, and, and understand it from the, the characters in the story. Uh, because it's so easy for us, if we've read a story over and over and over and over, there's only one Bible, so we read these same stories over and over. And the beautiful thing about it is the Spirit of God can bring new light, new dimensions, new colors, new beautiful things out of, out of, a, out of a story. So don't, don't, when you know you mention who this is, oh, well, he raised him from the dead. It's a story about Lazarus. So, well, you know, but, but feel what Mary and Martha, his sisters, must have felt. Here's what it says in John chapter 11, verse 1. John chapter 11, verse 1 says, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped him with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, your dear friend, Lazarus was Jesus's dear friend. 
is very sick. So Jesus was friends, very good friends with Martha and Mary and, and with Lazarus. And they obviously believed, they knew the stories. They, they were well aware of Jesus's ability. They knew what Jesus could do and the people that he'd healed before. If Jesus healed strangers, total strangers, surely his friend, his friend Lazarus, our friend, surely he, he'll come and he'll, he'll heal our brother. And verse 4 says this, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness, talking to his disciples, will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So also, Jesus loved, uh, so although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for two, two more days. So again, clearly, it's very clear that Jesus loved this family. He loved Mary and Martha, and he loved, he loved Zat, uh, Lazarus. And, uh, but he made no effort. He made no motion to go and to relieve his, his suffering. How many of you have ever been going through something in your life and you're praying to God to relieve that problem, relieve that adversity, uh, that, that difficulty in your life, and it doesn't seem like God's doing anything about it? You ever, you ever experienced that? I raised this hand. I've got my iPad in it. But yeah, I felt, I felt like that sometimes. God, why aren't you changing this? Why aren't you doing something about that? Those two extra days that Jesus stayed there, it must have seemed like an eternity to Martha and to Mary. You know, when you're, you're believing in, you're, you've got a loved one and they're, they're on their deathbed and they're getting worse and worse and worse and you're waiting for something. You're waiting for a miracle drug. You're waiting for the doctors to do something, to come by and to see so you can talk to them. And it just seems like it takes, it takes forever. And then finally... Finally, Lazarus dies. He dies. And you, the question that, that Mary or Martha first ran to him and said this is, why didn't you come? How didn't you know what we were going through? And she was a, just a, a dear friend. She was godly, but she was 100% human. And she wanted to know, where were you? Why didn't you come when we called you? And Jesus knew exactly before he got there, he knew exactly, during those two days, he knew exactly what was going on. He knew when Lazarus died. It says in verse 11, it says, Then he said, Our dear friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him. Uh, when, you think about, uh, when you think about maybe some of the other people that Jesus encountered throughout the Gospels, uh, for example, in Luke chapter 7, the centurion servant, the centurion was a friend of the Jews. They loved him, and he loved them, and he helped them, helped them build their temple, and uh, gave them money. And uh, when his servant that he cared about got sick, he sent, uh, he sent, sent some of the Jews, can you go? When he says, when he heard about Jesus, he sent some, can you ask Jesus to come and heal my servant? And he sent, they left to, to go bring Jesus back. And I, I imagine that he must have heard more and other stories about how Jesus touched them and, and people, Jesus just spoke the word. And when Jesus got there, he sent somebody at the end, maybe at the end of the road, end of his driveway, says, don't tell Jesus, tell him, don't come in my house. I, I'm a man under authority too. And, and I have servants under me, tell this one to go. And he goes and this one to come. And he says, I'm not worthy for him to come. Just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Couldn't Jesus have just spoke the word? You know, Martha, maybe, maybe she didn't think to ask Jesus just to speak the word. She wanted him. She, and I think she probably assumed, and rightly so, because he loved Lazarus so much that he definitely would want to be there during that time. Um, and to make matters worse, verse 14, Jesus said this. So he told them, talking about the disciples, he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Now get this. Two of Jesus' best friends, Martha and Mary, 
They're going through this emotional ringer. Lazarus has died, and Jesus says, I'm glad that I wasn't there. Now, listen, if you can get a hold of this, if you can get a hold of this, this will give you, give you some, I believe, some great insight into the mind, into the heart of God. Listen to this. Jesus had a goal in all of this. He had a goal in all of this, a goal that was so important that it was worth the agony that Mary and Martha went through. It was a goal that was so important that it was more important than Lazarus living. It was important enough to allow him to die. And then so uh, in John chapter 11, verses, I'm not going to take time to read, but verse 20 through 32, Jesus is coming to, t- in, to town. He's at the edge of town, and this is where Martha goes out and sees him. And that's when she said to him, uh, she said, you know, Lord, why couldn't you have come? Where were you? If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And he said to her, he says, he says you know, just, you'll, you'll see him again. In other words, he was going to raise him from the dead, but she understood, well, yeah, yeah, of course, I'll see him in the resurrection, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. And then Mary came in the same, same response, where were you? Why didn't you come? And this is the shortest verse in the Bible there. It says that Jesus wept. It bothered Jesus. It, he cared for them. He cared for them. Um, whatever, whatever Jesus was trying to accomplish, whatever he was trying to accomplish, it was worth sacrificing the emotions of people that he cared about and that he loved. It was more important than that. It also tells us that when we suffer, it bothers him. He, or let me say this, he cares about that. He cares about that. Um, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, says that we don't, don't we, we have a high priest. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So the two things, here's the two things. Two things are always true. Number one is this. He's always sensitive to our feelings. The Lord is always, he was sensitive to Mary's feelings. He was sensitive. Again, he wept. He was upset about that. Same thing with us. He cares in that verse again that I just read the high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. And then the second one is this, whatever he's in the process of accomplishing through our suffering, whatever he is in the process of accomplishing through our suffering will always be for our best interest. Always be for our best interest. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, Jesus had two specific purposes in mind. He had two specific purposes in mind. And one of them wasn't that Lazarus would die. The other one wasn't, his purpose wasn't that Mary and Martha would go through this difficult thing. But Jesus had two purposes. Number one was this, to bring glory to God. To bring glory to God. In verse 4 it says this, and it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. To bring glory to God is number one. Number two is this, that people might put their trust in him as the Messiah. That people might put their trust in him as the Messiah. And that's exactly, exactly what happened in this story with Lazarus. Verse 45, later in chapter 11, it says, Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. So again, this, this series title is Don't Shoot the Whale. Don't Shoot the Whale. And again, the whale is an allegory of adversity. What if the men on the, aboard that ship... When they threw Lazarus in and all of a sudden they saw this giant fish, this whale come up and swallow him, what if they had harpoons there? I don't know that they did or not, but if they had harpoons and they shot those, those things into them or threw those and they killed the whale. You know what they would have done? 
they would have just killed the vehicle that God was using to get him back in line, to get him back to doing the will of God. And sometimes when we shoot the whale, when we shoot the adversity, when we reject the adversity, when we are, get bitter because of the adversity, oftentimes we're shooting the whale. The very thing that God is using to turn us around. So just like Jonah ended abruptly, I'm going to end. Boom, I'm done. But we're going to carry on this next week. We want to talk about how do we respond to adversity? What are ways that we can handle it? It's Because it's going to come. It's going to come. So we'll see that next week, starting again next week. Father, we bless you today. Thank you, God. Thank you for opening our eyes today, Father, to this thing of adversity, of difficulties and troubles. And Father, even though we know that oftentimes we, we bring things on ourselves, that God, you do send adversity. You do send trouble sometimes, God. You do open up doors of trouble, God, that we, God, could turn to you, that people would see how we handle adversity. And Father, that ultimately that you would receive glory from it. We bless you. We honor you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.